Alright, welcome back to another episode of Alright Shut Up. We've got a special episode for you today. We're joined by NCAA college expert Jason Celeste. That's right, we do. Good to be back, boys. Uh, I tell you, it's the final day of March, but the madness just doesn't seem like it's quite over. That's right. Madness continues into April this weekend. We got the Final Four college basketball. Game 64 and 65, I believe. 65, 66, excuse me. Been a lot, a, lot of, of a lot of basketball out there. A lot of crazy games. An 11th seed, UCLA, in the Final Four. Who would have thunk it? I'll tell you what, Sorry, all the way from that? the playing game to the Final Four, you don't see that very often. Um, I believe Jason corrected me uh, on the pre-podcast show. Um, VCU, only other team to do that. Is that correct, Jason? Indeed. 2011 team coached by Shaka Smart, new head coach, the Marquette Golden Marquette, Eagles. we didn't see them in the tournament this year. What happened to Shaka and the Eagles? Well, Shaka actually... Um, was in the tournament this year mm. with the Texas Longhorns, but uh, following his fall from grace against the Abilene Christian uh, University Wildcats, I believe, uh, he Texas two stepped his way out of town and uh, headed up north. I'll tell you what, Wisconsin. Texas is famous for firing coaches. Oh wow! Too Big pickup for Wisconsin basketball. You know, this one might have been just about right, though. He had. Uh, failed to meet expectations in several years prior to this. And then this was really the first season where he was meeting the expectations put on him by the administration. And then to just fall flat on your face in the first round of the NCAA tournament to <laughs> another school from Texas that's probably comprised of mostly players from the state of Texas. And I'm guessing not a single one of them received a scholarship to the University of Texas. Uh, that's just an unacceptable loss, and I think uh, he saw the writing on the wall that his time in Austin was coming to an end, so he jumped at the first opportunity to get out of there. And so with Shaka Smart joining the Big East, is the Big East back, baby? Um, <laughs> it depends on what you mean by back. You mean, I mean, Shaka Smart had success at a mid-major school, getting like double-digit seeds and then pulling off upsets. But as in a big-name program, he didn't fare too well at Texas. So I would be hesitant to uh, get too excited about this mm -hmm. hire at Marquette. Uh, Villanova will be back. This was a down year for them, but outside of Villanova, I don't see uh, much promise in the Big not East even, in the coming years. Yeah, not even from I Georgetown. Think it's huh? Georgetown, actually. You know, Georgetown had their fun. They uh, made a nice little run there against an extremely weak conference and then got absolutely destroyed in the first yeah. round of the tournament. Well, that's it. I tried, I told her that I would have made a Patrick Ewing will be back. Patrick Ewing knows the tournament. He knows the game inside and out. Yeah. 
and he knows the Big East tournament because he knows Madison Square Garden, baby. You know, That's if, he blossomed. Uh, if Patrick Ewing could uh, go back 30 years and play, I might believe Georgetown's back, but uh, they're definitely – certain situations where uh, top-notch players have failed as coaches, and I think uh, Patrick Ewing is no exception to that rule. One top-notch player who seems like he's exceeding in his coaching role, uh, Juwan Howard of Michigan, you know, uh, took the, the Wolverines pretty far this year. What do you make of him as a coach? Yeah, uh, first uh, player slash coach in NCAA tournament history to earn a one seed mm. as a player and as a coach. And uh, he's definitely got Michigan headed in the right direction. I like what I see out of him. Uh, he went into a tough situation in this tournament. Michigan, without their leading scorer, their star player, Isaiah Livers. Uh, I honestly thought due to that loss, they were going to lose in the second round to LSU, but uh, stayed strong, took them all the way to the Elite Eight. Had several very nice looks at the basket, uh, one three-point shot away from a Final Four, and the shots just didn't fall. And like he was close, he was close to a Final Four, and I think uh, the good things are just beginning at Michigan. I would agree with you there, Jason. Yeah, it seems like he's got them going the right way, um, but got to give credit to this this UCLA team. It's kind of strange to see UCLA as an 11 seed. Um, such a storied program, you know, in a different situation and then overcomes it, making it all the way to the Final Four. I mean, it was crazy. They even beat Michigan State, a very storied program. Jason was big on Tom Izzo, you know, convinced me that they might make a run. But, you know, if you were one of those guys who picked, you know, UCLA, Michigan State to do the upset because two very storied programs in a playing game, you don't see that very often. So um, pretty cool to see that they've made it this far. Um, I think they were clearly a little bit underseeded, but they're going to have a tough matchup this weekend against the Gonzaga Zags. Um, I think everyone's pretty high on the Zags for a good reason. Um, they're a powerhouse out there, and it's going to be hard for UCLA. I think they're stopping dancing on Saturday. Um, I think the Zags take it handily. Yeah, and I'll tell you what uh... – I don't think anyone's Jason, higher, any on, Gonzaga, on, the, uh, higher the on Gonzaga right matchup? now than Las Vegas, who has the Bulldogs as a 14-point favorite. Yep, a 14-point favorite to beat UCLA in the Final Four, which is absolutely unheard of at this stage in the tournament. However, it's interesting to note that you look at the top two teams in the country – Throughout all these upsets, all the craziness that's happened this March, uh, actually going into the Elite Eight, it was the highest average seed per team in the history of the Elite Eight. But the number one and two teams in the country, Gonzaga and Baylor, have mowed down their competition. And an interesting betting nugget there, Gonzaga is covered in every game of this tournament, despite generally being favored by double-digit points. The only game that Baylor has not covered in was their opening round matchup against Hartford, which they won by 24. So you look at the upsets and all this, but at the end of the day, it seems like the cream sort of rising to the top and Gonzaga and Baylor have definitely separated themselves as they have done all season as the best two teams in the country. 
Sure, sure. I buy that what everything you're saying makes sense. But if I'm a betting man, 14 points is a huge spread. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to take that this late in the tournament. That's a, in my opinion, that's one that I'm not going to touch. It's Mick Cronin's defense is very solid. I think let's leave it. At, let's put this out there first. Uh, no one's holding Gonzaga to under 70 points. It hasn't been done all season. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen on Saturday, even though UCLA's defense is clicking under a very uh, well-renowned defensive coach in Mick Cronin. However, the question is, how many points is UCLA going to score? They won that game against Michigan, scoring 51 points. That's just not going to happen against Gonzaga. 50, they score 51 against Gonzaga, and they're going to lose by at least 20 points. So can Mick Cronin's team at least get into the 60s and keep this game close? I don't think they're going to win. If they can get into the 60s, I think they'll cover the spread. But there's a chance they don't get into the 60s, and Gonzaga wins this game something like 75 to 55. I'm I'm looking at UCLA's um, scores in the tournament. They're not scoring – at a crazy rate. See, they had a 88 points um, in the in the in two wins ago, but it was in overtime. 67, and and this is against lower competition. 73. I mean, they're going to have to get really hot to mm-hmm. keep up with uh, keep up with the competition here. Mm. But there's one team. That one of us at least picked to win this whole damn thing that isn't Baylor or Gonzaga. And it's the Houston mm-hmm. Cougars, baby. Uh, I think they still got a chance. A lot of, a lot of Texas in this Final Four. Didn't really realize till now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Houston basketball making a run. Uh, I like this team. I like this tex- uh, Houston team. Whooped up on um, or, or got past uh, Oregon State here. Looking confident in the Final Four. They're going to have their hands full with Baylor, but I could see them pulling off the upset. I'll tell you what, Houston, if they can get hot on yeah, a three, think, uh, they can, Houston it can be pulling dangerous. Off the upset against Baylor is a lot more likely than... Uh... Houston can be dangerous if they get hot from three, but so can Baylor. And Baylor's three-headed monster at the guard position, I think it's just going to be a little bit too much for Houston to handle. I think Houston is capable of pulling off this upset. Uh, Kelvin Sampson's definitely done a great job with that program and gotten them to a point where I think they're going to be perennial Final Four contenders, which is uh, tough to do from a mid-major conference, but Houston's starting to look like a miniature version of Gonzaga where they might play in a mid-major, but they're anything but. Uh, I think Baylor takes it this time, but I think Houston's here to stay. I just like the uh, three-headed monster. Davion Mitchell is the best defensive player in the country, and he's going to have a tough assignment with Quentin Grimes, but I think he's going to be able to take at least limit Grimes' scoring, and if Grimes isn't scoring, I don't think Houston has enough scoring outside of him to get past Baylor. Uh, Macy Oteague is an absolute baller. From Cincinnati, by the way, so obviously the guy's going to ball out. (laughs) 
and uh, Jared Butler, first team All American. This team is, uh, if there's any team that is built to compete with Gonzaga, it's the Baylor Bears. Man, that's going to be a hell of a championship game, huh? I mean, we've got two teams. Um, you know, I mean, it looks like UCLA is not yeah. going to make it. Uh, they kind of somehow stumbled their way their way here. Um, Houston might get the upset, but if we have this um, Baylor-Gonzaga matchup, it could be a championship game for the ages. I'll tell you what, that's going to be quite the shootout, the Baylor and uh, Baylor and Gonzaga matchup. Two high-powered offenses going at it against each other. Um, I personally like Baylor in that in that matchup. I think I think Baylor's uh, you know a little more tenured, a little more um, a little more big and long uh, compared to the Gonzaga Zags, and I think they take that one. Um, but I'm still big on Houston. I think Houston's going to upset Baylor and unfortunately lose to Gonzaga in the finals. But if it's a Baylor Gonzaga finals, I got Baylor. Um, like you said, I think UCLA is kind of out of it. Um, but it's going to be a high-powered game if if you're correct in saying Gonzaga versus Baylor. Um, look for a high-scoring game, maybe in the 80s for both teams. Yeah, I think uh, Baylor versus Gonzaga is the matchup we all want to see. It's the matchup the world deserves. And finally getting back to somewhat normalcy of college sports, uh, Baylor versus Gonzaga would be an absolutely fantastic way to end this college basketball season. They've been the two best teams in the country all year long. And I think that would be one of the best championship games we've seen in recent memory. If that game is to occur, I want you to... Keep an eye on one name as the X factor as to who gets the W. And that's Andrew Nemhard, guard for Gonzaga, two-year starter at point guard for Florida, transferred up the West Coast. He's going to have to step up his game a little bit in this one because as wow. I said, Baylor has the best there. backcourt in the country um, with those three guys. Davion Mitchell against Jalen Suggs, Gonzaga's star point guard, likely top five pick in the NBA draft. Uh, no one's going to shut down Jalen Suggs completely. Davion Mitchell is going to limit what Jalen Suggs can do, though, and he's going to force the ball into somebody else's hand and force somebody else to make plays. And Nemhard's going to be the guy that's going to have to step up. If he can do so, I think the Zags get the win. If he struggles, I think it might be a good night for Baylor. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a championship game. Yeah, um, so... As an unbiased fan, I'm not sure who to root for, really. If, if I'm rooting for history for a perfect season from Gonzaga or if I should root for the upset, I'm a little bit torn. Zach, who are you going to be rooting for if that's the matchup? I'll tell you what, I'm always a fan of the underdog. Um, so I guess technically the underdog here would be the, the Baylor Bears. Would you agree with that, Jason? Yeah, I think going based off what I've seen from – what Vegas has released in line so far, my guess is Baylor would be somewhere around mm. a five. So, I mean, in that case, I, I'm shooting for the Baylor Bears. You know, everyone this year has been hot on Gonzaga, um, you know, with the perfect season and everything like that, being the team to beat. Um, although Baylor's not really an underdog, they're also a one seed. Um, I'd like to see the Bears take it home, you know. I think uh, I think I like to bet against Vegas. Um, and I, I, I always bet on the underdog when I'm betting uh, on the sports book, so... Either way, if it's Baylor or it's Houston, um, I'm going to be betting on one of those squads to take it home and cut down those nets. 
Uh, how would you say that strategy has worked for um, you financially? I would say this, I believe this tournament I'm down 20 bucks, so not not too horribly, but definitely not uh, great. I've been too into the parlays. Uh, you know, I try to get all these parlays okay. set up, and Jason's warned me, don't get on the parlays. You know, that's how Vegas makes the money. And I'm starting to think he's right because I've been losing every single one by like one game. You know, I'll get, I'll hit like four of them and I'll lose the fifth, you know, et cetera. So it's very frustrating when you hit all of them except one too, because you're like so close to that sweetness, you know? I did have a lot of fun. I mean, fun? I, a lot of times I don't even watch the games. I just check the next morning. It's kind of like a fun morning routine for me. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic, Jason. Have you been betting on the games at all? Yeah, I've been. Uh, I've had a couple heartbreaks on uh, betting spreads and teams for no apparent reason, jacking up, <laughs> running down the court and jacking up shots the last second to cover a spread. Uh, most recently, uh, the gentleman for Oregon State. Um, for whatever reason, I guess he felt that losing by six looked a lot better in the box score than losing by nine. So he sprints down the court, jacks up a contested three that had no business going in and just buries it. Uh, and then they just, there was about three seconds left after that and they didn't even bother fouling. So really there was no point in him taking the shot to begin with. You lost, like <laughs> just take your loss. And because he couldn't, <coughs> Because he couldn't take his loss with uh, dignity, I ended up losing. Because Houston. Those are the kind of things that make that you game. think. You know, maybe it is a little rigged. It must be a popular player. I'll tell you what, though, I uh, came back strong with uh, betting on Gonzaga to cover the spread once again. I've won a lot of money on Gonzaga covering the spread because it just seems. It seems like Gonzaga is one of those teams that's familiar with what the spread is, and they're like, all right, we're going to win by at least this much. And then uh, Mick Cronin's squad got me a solid payday, plus 260 to win, and uh, they hung on. So that was a nice wow. uh, win for me and my bank account. Solid work, solid work. That plus a tax yeah. return. Well, I that's where all mine went to. Yeah, who, who could ask for anything more? What about you, Alex? You gonna put some money on these final four games? Where do you like? Where do you like the pets this this weekend? Boy, um, well, uh, I'm gonna have to bet that Houston wins um, because I want to. If if Jason, I can't believe what you're telling me is correct that I could actually win this bracket. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised I like as well because you're. Um, Pretty, like, not just in last place. You're in last oh. place by a significant margin right now. I've seen the points. I'm significantly worse um, than everyone. Mm. Um, but max points are 950. Yeah, because everyone else has 1,000 points already. That can't be possible because uh, but you're the only one who picked Houston to win the championship. So if you get Houston to win in the uh, final four plus Houston in the championship game, uh, you'll, that'll put you just a uh, fraction be in front of Dobbins for first. Okay. Okay. I'll take uh, your is, word for it. Yeah. What do you guys uh, say? We uh, talk a little bit, uh, these uh, trades that happened last week. Oh boy. 
Let's get into it. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, they did what a team with a roster ready to compete that's just short, a quarterback shy of true contention would do. They hemorrhaged the, their draft capital in the future to move up in a very rich quarterback class to get their guy. Mm, it is. It is a rich quarterback class. I mean, um, who, do, who do you see them getting at three? So I think it's interesting because the narrative sort of shifted. The second they made that trade, like you were thinking, well, is it Justin Fields? Is he the third quarterback to go off the board? But rumors started to come out, like, initially that they were thinking that looked more like Trey Lance. However, what I've been hearing recently is that the San Francisco 49ers, if I had to make a bet right now, the number three overall pick in the draft is going to be Mac Jones. Wow. A lot of buzz around him, huh? Oh, the buzz is growing by the day for Mac Jones. Put on a solid display at his pro day, and... before the season, he wasn't even a draftable prospect. At, after the season, people were saying maybe like beginning of the second round, maybe sneaks into the end of the first round. Mac Jones is going in the top five. Like He's not making it past the fifth pick in the draft. At this point, I believe he'll be the third pick. But there's going to be at least four quarterbacks taken in the top five. The first five picks might all be quarterbacks this year. I guarantee you that there will be five quarterbacks in the top nine. So you see Cincinnati um, trading back because they won't take a quarterback. We'll see how the board falls. Uh, I look at eight and nine Carolina and Denver as teams that absolutely are going to want to trade up for a quarterback. Mm -hmm. I look at 15 with New England as a team that – might be targeting a trade-up. Apparently, uh, the Bengals actually... Uh, it, not sure how substantial uh, these talks have been, but New England has reached out to Cincinnati at number five in regards wow. to what it would take to get that pick. Hmm. That makes they sense. Need, no, I was just going to say, that New sorry, England sorry, needs to rebuild. They're gonna, they need to draft a quarterback. So um, I can see Cincinnati giving up that pick. Um, I'm sure New England's willing to... Wheel and deal a little bit. Uh, they're kind of reeling from losing Brady. So what, what do you think Cincinnati would have to take for that, Jason? Uh, I think it's going to take a lot because there are two prospects I'm hearing the Bengals really like at five, and that's Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, and then Joe mm, Burrow's old college buddy, Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. Both of those players are likely to be on the board at five. There's not a chance in the world either of those players to be on the board at 15. So the Bengals are going to have to give up on both of those guys if they trade down with New England. So New England's going to have to make it worth their time to give up those players. So I think you saw San Francisco to trade up from 12 to 3. Uh, also gave up their first round picks next year and the year after that, as well as a third round pick next year. I think you're going to have to look at a similar package from New England if they want to move from 15 to 5. Um, Jamar Chase had his pro day today. I don't know if you guys watched it or looked at it. Um, I believe he ran a 
Um, four three eight. Wow. Yeah, his his stats were crazy. Like he had under a uh, four second shuttle. He had four three eight. Like he he had insane uh, testing numbers. So like this guy is no joke. Um, and I see like with a great testing day like this, he's gonna shoot up the boards like you said. Um, yeah. And, and if if what you're saying is true about all these quarterbacks heavy in the in the top five. Um, he could be one of the first like position players, if you will, taken. I'd also like to talk a little bit about uh, Philadelphia deciding to move down from six to twelve. It's interesting because I think at this point you can lock in. Obviously, Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence has been locked in as the number one pick since before the season started. Uh, at this point, I think you can go. There had been some talk like, are the Jets? maybe going to stick with Sam Darnold and take an offensive tackle or a wide receiver to help him out? Are they going to trade down and get some more picks? At this point, I think you can go ahead and lock in the New York Jets drafting Zach Wilson at number two. Philadelphia was interested, and obviously the Dolphins and Eagles had had lots of talks before this San Francisco-Miami trade ever occurred. And the Eagles were looking to move up to number three. But they only wanted for a quarterback, but they only wanted Zach Wilson. From what they heard, Zach Wilson wasn't going to be available at number three, which is why they ultimately moved down to 12 instead of trying to move up. So that tells me you can go ahead and lock in Zach Wilson as the number two pick in the draft. Yeah, when you were hyping up a quarterback earlier, I thought you were going to refer to Mm -hmm. um, Zach Wilson because it seems like. Um, his uh, his um, status as a NFL quarterback has just shot up yeah. in the last few months. Um, him going number two, wow. Um, well, where crazy. do you Zach, think that uh, love or excuse me, Justin Fields drops from this, Jason? Where do you find him uh, you know, dropping to? Because he was kind of thought as the number two guy for a long time, um, but it seems like recently he's his stock has dropped a little bit. Um, yeah, it certainly had, uh, it certainly had, he had been the number two guy and I don't think obviously he struggled a little bit in a couple games this year, which caused some teams to have a little pause concerning him. I think his stock fell more in regards not to him falling as much as it was to Mm. other quarterbacks rising teams really love Zach Wilson. Uh, San Francisco had actually reached out to the jets as well at number two. I think they were interested in Zach Wilson as well. However, uh, the Jets didn't even entertain a phone call with the 49ers, uh, which tells me San Francisco was interested in taking Zach Wilson, and Zach and Mac Jones might be their uh, second choice. So I think that Justin Fields falling past Zach Wilson has more to do with how much teams like Zach Wilson than it does teams not so much caring for Justin Fields. Uh, talk about lighting up a pro day, though. Justin Fields in Ohio State's pro day was yesterday. And from everything I'm hearing, he absolutely tore it up. Uh, set Twitter on fire with his performance. Ran a 4 uh, which is insane for a quarterback. As of right now, um, man, it's hard to ignore sitting at four of the Atlanta Falcons not pulling the trigger on their hometown guy. They have a bit of a tricky cap situation with Matt Ryan. Uh, Basically, he's going to be 
on the Atlanta Falcons roster mm-hmm. for the next two seasons, financially, it would be almost impossible for them to not have him on the roster for the next two seasons due to his contract situation. So it's kind of interesting. Fields would definitely sit for a year behind Matt Ryan, and then Atlanta would have to figure some figure out something that second year because they can't have the number four pick in the draft sit two years. That's just <laughs> a Green Bay Packers type move, except twenty even twenty two picks earlier in the draft, uh, which is just absurd. So I think there's going to be a race. Like, who do the Falcons like more? Justin Fields or Trey Lance at number four. Uh, right now, my money would be on Fields. He's the hometown guy from the Atlanta area. He makes a lot of sense there. But if the Falcons were to pass on Fields at number four and take Trey Lance, I think the phones would start lighting mm. up in Cincinnati for that fifth pick. It's going to be a lot to watch for. We're going to have to uh, what do you think have a Miami draft do? extravaganza. Best player or stick with Tua? I mean... Yeah, no. What Miami's moves tell me is they did not want to fall out of the top ten. Like they had a player that they were targeting at three. They felt comfortable they could get at six, but they did not want to risk losing. So there's somebody on Miami's board that they want. And that's why they instead of just trading back from three to twelve and getting that capital. They traded a little bit of that capital back to move back up to six because there's somebody they want at six that they know isn't going to be there at 12, but they felt comfortable enough that he'd be there at six. And in my opinion, because what basically what Miami is saying is they don't think the Bengals are going to take their player because they didn't need a quarterback. And the only other team in between three and six is Atlanta, who's probably going to take a quarterback. The Bengals right now, I don't think they know who they're going to take between Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell, which tells me Miami did not want Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell. Otherwise, they wouldn't have risked that, giving them up and the Bengals taking them. I think the Be- Miami, there are two names that stick out, stick out to me, Kyle Pitts and Devontae Smith. Man, yeah, um, Kyle Pitts is, uh, some people are saying he's going to be top five, um, crazy tight end there. Uh, one weird team in the top 10, <laughs> the Detroit Lions. I mean, uh, I don't know what to make of this Detroit team. Obviously, they're starting over. Stafford is gone. Uh, Jared Goff is in. I'm assuming that means they'll leave the quarterback situation alone. But, um, I mean, Goff has had success, but uh, McVay was not hot on him uh, at the end of last year. Um, and, yeah, he's been – pretty average. So I, I could see them wanting to upgrade their QB position, but if if four quarterbacks are already gone, then then that's no use. Yeah, I'll tell you this. The Lions might want to upgrade their quarterback position, but do not look for them to do it this year. There are way too many other holes on the roster. They're going to give Goff at least one year to prove himself. And I think at number seven, with some elite wide receivers on the board, that's where Detroit's going to go. Joy, who's Pittsburgh taking 24? You know, I've seen a lot of uh, interesting things uh, uh, about the Steelers this year. You know, I've heard them maybe trading up for a quarterback to get somebody kind of like Justin Fields. Um, I've heard maybe they trade for uh, Sam Darnold of the Jets. So um, 
obviously quarterbacks on top of mind and a lot of Pittsburgh fans right now, you know, with Big Ben going to be gone next year and, uh, you know, not finishing out the season great um, last year. Um, but I think ultimately they're, they're probably going to take a, an offensive tackle. Um, I'm not sure who yet, so they'll have to see who drops to them. Um, but their ultimate need right now is, is offensive line. Um, so I see them taking a tackle probably first round. Yeah, I like what, I like where your mind's headed, Troy. Um, Sam Darnold, I think there are three teams I have uh, pinpointed as players in his trade market, and that's Washington, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. I think one of those teams is going to end up with Sam Darnold next year, and I absolutely believe. I've heard some rumors about uh, Pittsburgh wanting a running back. I just don't think that's their biggest need, mm-hmm. especially when – you need to retool that entire offensive exactly. line. Who's going to block for that running back? I had in my original draft uh, the Steelers targeting Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan in offensive tackle. However, I'm starting to really like the buzz I'm hearing from the top-ranked interior lineman prospect, mm. Creed Humphrey, center from Oklahoma. Would be an excellent uh, replacement for Pouncey at that center position. And as of right now, if I had to guess, I'd say that's Yeah, I can see yeah. that as well. They like that center position kind of as a leader. I mean, that's a perfect spot. Yeah, that's a perfect spot in the draft to get a really good interior mm-hmm. lineman, sort of the end of the first round. Um, so there'll be someone really good waiting uh, for the Steelers uh, to call them. Yeah, Alex, so where do you like your uh, Packers going in the draft? Boy, uh, what are they, 29, right? Yeah. Uh, whoever's left, dude. <laughs> I mean, you never know how to call it at the end of the first round because, um, you know, trades and, and team needs, you never know, like, who's left because whenever you look at this draft rankings and stuff, there's always, like, 15 or 20, like, maybe 20 is even a stretch, like mm-hmm. 15 guys that are really, really good, you know? And then there's kind of a second class. And then um, so we'll see, like, uh, it's kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Here are the top players, and then here are the rest. And they're sort of where they're picking. It's going to be one of the rest guys. Um, so I don't know. We'll just see who's who's there. Um, see how the draft shakes out. They need they need an <laughs> offensive tackle. I mean, who doesn't, right? Um, they re-signed Kevin King. Big move. I personally liked it. Because um, why not just pay one guy for one year? Mm. I'm sure he's better than a rookie. You know. Um. Yeah, they need an O lineman, and uh, they need a wide receiver. Not because the wide receivers are bad, but because all the wide receivers are in the same year, so all their contracts are going to be up at the same That's time, brutal. except for Adams. So, um, unless they give four guys a new contract, uh, a second contract, a second more expensive contract, they're going to be really screwed. I'll tell you who I really like for the Packers. And it's hitting at that wide receiver position. All of your wide receivers seem to be along the same build. Like, bigger body, like 6'4", 6'5", guys, more uh, outside, like down-the-field receivers. I'm looking at an absolute uh, gift of a gadget player and Kadarius Toney out of Florida can line up in the slot, can line up at running back, can do a lot of things, uh, similar to a Percy Harvin type of player. 
And I think that might be with paired with Aaron Rodgers, I think that could be a very useful tool for the Green Bay Packers going forward. Jason, I couldn't agree more. We have the same guys kind of playing. So we have Adams playing out of the slot, and he's kind of the quick yep. and even, change of direction guy. And even Adams, he's like 6'3 and like 215. Like he's not your prototypical slot receiver. Exactly. And the other guys are the same build. Like you said, big, tall, kind of slow guys that are great blockers, but they're not quick change of direction guys. We need a, a guy like Randall Cobb, man. Randall Cobb was great for us. Um, we need a, a quick, short guy. I, I'm totally for someone uh, of that kind of prototype. Yeah, the only problem with that is, uh, like you said, at 29, it takes more of an adjustment. Like, Especially if you look at the teams right ahead of you on the board, if your target is wide receiver, you've got the Saints at 28 need a wide receiver. The Ravens at 27 need a wide receiver. The Browns at 26 need a wide receiver. So there are multiple spots right ahead of you where you might see a team scoop your guy up. I saw the Ravens just yeah. said, um, what's his name, Sammy Watkins? Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. good move. Yeah. One-year deal for an injury-prone player, though. Uh, Watkins can play when healthy, but I certainly don't think the uh, Ravens are putting all their eggs in the Sammy Watkins basket. Well, we're all going to have to see how it shakes out. Uh, we're going to have to have a uh... – a draft extravaganza episode where uh, we dive in deep to these picks, Jason. I'll tell you what, Troy, I'm looking forward to it. Nobody loves the draft more than me. <laughs> well, except for maybe I think Mel you Kiper. might rival Mel Kuyper. I'll tell you what, man. A lot of upside. A lot of upside. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of draft content, so get ready, fans. Um, we'll be doing mock draft and the big night. Get ready. We'll do a live stream. It'll be a ton of fun. So book it in your calendars. All right. That's been everything for us today. Shut up. All right. See you later. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of All Right, Shut Up. Make sure to go ahead and leave us a review. Help us grow the podcast. All right, shut up. Catch us next week on all your favorite podcast sites.